Earlier this month, news broke that Apple was planning an important software update for iPhones. The update would include a new feature designed to detect child pornography. Child pornography has exploded in the digital era. Apple's new tool was built to detect these images and report them. Child protection advocates hailed the news. But some Apple users had a very different reaction. People were not happy. They freaked out. Privacy experts, regular users, the internet. That's Joanna Stern, the journal's senior personal tech columnist. She reviews Apple products, and after this news hit, she was getting all kinds of questions about it. Questions from readers, friends, family. I had questions from people saying, you know, is Apple going to be seeing the nudes on my phone? Which was odd for me because then I found out that people had nudes on their phone. Other people had questions like, is Apple going to mistake my newborn in a bathtub for child pornography? Is Apple scanning all my messages and everything on my phone? So Joanna decided to pose some of those questions to Apple in a rare on-the-record interview with the company's software chief. Did you expect this sort of reaction? No. I mean, I can say that we knew this was a complex topic. We tried to make sure we communicated clearly, but it's really clear a lot of messages got jumbled uh, pretty badly. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Tuesday, August 17th. Coming up on the show... Apple's controversial update, and what it means for the future of privacy on the iPhone. This episode of The Journal is brought to you by KPMG. At KPMG, we make the difference. It's not just something we say, it's what we do. We work closely with clients to uncover insights that illuminate opportunity, develop bold solutions that innovate industries, and create better outcomes driven by data. Brighter insights, bolder solutions, better outcomes. It's how our people make the difference. KPMG, make the difference. Part of the reason people were so outraged at the idea Apple might be looking at their photos is because, for years, customers have seen Apple as the privacy company. And Joanna says it's no mystery where they got that idea. Ryan, have you seen that Apple ad where this guy, you know, it starts where he walks into the coffee shop and then it follows him through this day. And there are all these people that follow him around, kind Mm -hmm. of collecting information about what he's doing. And those people and those things are supposed to represent the apps and the ad tracking industry, right? And at the end, they all sort of blow up. Yeah, they go poof. They go poof, right. And then what does Apple say? I think at the ad, it's like, Privacy, period. That's iPhone, period. It's not just advertising. Apple has repeatedly said that what happens on your iPhone stays on your iPhone. Only you have access to it. And does Apple think that consumers really care about that and make the choice to buy an iPhone over another device because of privacy? So I've actually asked Apple this repeatedly when I meet with them. Do you see this as a as a selling point of the iPhone? And their answer is always, we do this because it's a, as Tim Cook usually says. We think privacy is a fundamental human right. So that is the angle that we look at it. Apple has such a tough stance on privacy that it's put the company at odds with law enforcement and even the federal government. 
Now to the ongoing battle between Apple and the feds. The FBI wants Apple to unlock the iPhone of one of the San Bernardino shooters, but Apple is resisting. The Justice Department now saying the deadly shooting at a Pensacola naval base was an act of terrorism. Attorney General William Barr calling on Apple to now assist with the investigation of the suspect. We have asked Apple for their help in unlocking the shooter's phones. So far, Apple has not given any substantive assistance. High-profile cases where the government wants Apple to access a mass shooter's phone aren't the only situations where the government has wanted Apple's help. Another area is cracking down on child pornography. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, which tracks the spread of child pornography, receives millions of reports of abusive material each year. And a major way the organization finds out about this material is from tech companies that actively scan for it on their servers, something Apple doesn't do. Other platforms, most of the cloud platforms that you would use from Facebook, Google, Microsoft, when you upload your photos to their servers, to their cloud services, they are often scanning for child pornography images. And this is how this works. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, which is known as NCMEC, has a database of known illegal child pornography. And so these other tech companies use this repository to match the photos that are in there with possibly what is in people's cloud storage to be able to identify that this user has this illegal imagery. So just to make sure I'm understanding this right, so there's a database of known images of child pornography. And when you upload photos uh, using Facebook's cloud or Microsoft's cloud or Google's cloud to their backup services, they'll just scan all those photos and see, does this, is this match something that's in the child pornography database? Yeah, they're using some advanced algorithms and machine learning to look for those images. These scanning technologies are effective. Facebook filed more than 20 million reports to NCMEC last year alone. By comparison, Apple, which doesn't use this kind of scanning technology, reported just 265. Last week, Joanna interviewed Craig Federighi, Apple's senior vice president of software engineering, and he acknowledged that Apple hadn't been scanning for this material. This has been an area that has been, I think, becoming increasingly clear as a problem uh, in terms of the spread of child sexual abuse materials. We've wanted to do something, but we've been unwilling to deploy a solution that would involve scanning all customer data. We thought that Did Federighi explain why Apple was unwilling to do what all these other tech companies are doing? So what he explained was, hey, if we are looking in your cloud at these types of images, what stops us from looking at other types of images? They basically didn't want to abuse that power or even have the ability to abuse that power. So they just said, we're not going to do this. They were sort of saying it's a slippery slope then to, if we start doing it here, we may have to do it elsewhere. Correct. So why did Apple change its mind and start trying to take this problem on? So I actually asked Craig Federighi that, and his answer was pretty clear. Really, it came down to, we figured it out. Federighi says that Apple figured out a way to protect kids and user privacy. The company's answer was this new technique. On its surface, it looks like Apple's doing the same thing that other tech companies do, looking at the NCMEC child pornography database and then matching it against the images customers upload to the cloud. But what's going on technically under the hood is actually very different. 
Apple has created a new system where each image in NickMix database gets translated into what's called a neural hash, basically a long string of numbers. Then, as you upload your photos to iCloud, your images also get translated into neural hashes. At that point, your iPhone compares your hashes with the hashes from NickMix database to see if there's a match. After that, there are several more complicated steps, but the end result is, if Apple's system sees about 30 matches, the company will review the images and, if necessary, flag it to the authorities. This is where you don't have to really worry about the picture of your kid in the bathtub, right? Because it's only looking for a match from known images in this database. If that photo is not in this database of child pornography, then there should be no problem. The key difference between how Apple does this and how other tech companies do it is that most of this analysis is happening on your phone. If the system doesn't detect any matches, then Apple actually never looks at your photos. Federighi told Joanna that for Apple, the ability to find images of child pornography without actually scanning someone's photos, that was the breakthrough. When we figured out the approach and and really some pretty advanced cryptography to make this possible, that was the gate really to being able to release this. And we think it advances the cause of privacy because up to now there's been this false premise that we can't protect children in this way without making massive violations in customer privacy. And instead, we're preserving the privacy promises that I and I know everyone else at Apple feels are so critical to what we all stand for. How is this better for privacy, though? The argument is that it's better for privacy because Apple is not gaining information about your photos. Apple's saying, we are not going to go through your photos in the cloud. We have devised this really complicated very advanced system that works on your device so we don't find out much about it. And then when it comes to our cloud and only when it hits a certain threshold do we find out what might be happening in your photos. But doesn't that then create a giant loophole in this system if all a criminal has to do is not back up their photos to iCloud and then they never get caught? Yeah, and I actually asked Craig Federighi about this as well. Well, I don't think there's a single solution in a single place to combating this problem. It's certainly the case that some people will and have historically gone underground in different ways on how they might manage this content. We want to do our part where we can while preserving our privacy values, and we think this is an important step. For Apple, this step was proof that the company could balance privacy and kids' safety. But the company was about to find out that not everyone saw it that way. After the break, the backlash. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match. With Indeed, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, 
improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. When the world found out about Apple's new feature earlier this month, the response was immediate. It just kind of blew up. It's drawn applause from child protection campaigners, but criticism from advocates of privacy. Security watchdogs concerned the new software could be exploited by hackers and foreign governments. The head of WhatsApp calling this a major setback for personal privacy. Is Apple being a good corporate citizen or overstepping its bounds? On the privacy end, you had the big privacy and digital watchdogs worried about what this meant for what is called a backdoor. If this technology right now is being used for something that is good, this is a good piece of technology. It is trying to stop the spread of child pornography. No one is going to argue that that is a bad thing. But what is at stake is that this technology could be used for other types of things. And so you had the big watchdogs and privacy experts saying, hey, this opens a real backdoor. It's a slippery slope for Apple. You had users who were just confused, right? They had heard, oh, they're going to be scanning my phone for child pornography and they're going to spot nudes. Oh, gosh. Joanna says a lot of that confusion may have stemmed from users mixing up two different features that Apple announced on the same day. Alongside its child pornography tool, the company also announced another feature. It's a setting that parents can turn on that's supposed to prevent kids from sending or receiving nude photos over iMessage. So let's say a child gets a photo and it's a nude photo. It will blur that image and it will ask the child if they want to view this. If they choose to view it and a parent has set this up in this particular way, it can notify the parent that the child has gotten a nude photo. I see. So how do you think rolling out these two features at the same time added to the miscommunication that Apple was experiencing? I mean, on one hand, you have Apple with this really complex way of spotting child pornography. And Apple has come up with this new complex way of not looking at your images and they've done it on the device, etc. Okay. Then you have a different feature, which is using technology on-device machine learning that's looking at the contents of the photo for certain types of objects, right? It's the same sort of technology that is used when you can go search in your photo library for dogs or the beach. That's very different technology. One does not have to do with the other. What did Apple say about that? Did they feel like they should have rolled them out at different times? Oh, I brought this up with Craig Federighi, and he acknowledged that there was... Definitely confusion. I grant you, in hindsight, introducing these two features at the same time was a recipe for this kind of confusion. We've had a larger idea about how we can help protect children and fight this issue of child endangerment. And we wanted to lay out a set of comprehensive capabilities that we were doing to do that. But by releasing them at the same time, people technically connected them and got very scared. What's happening with my messages? The answer is, you know, nothing uh, is happening with your messages. So Apple says this was a misunderstanding and they've come out to try to clarify this, but did that satisfy privacy advocates who said this still might be raising concerns for them? No, it definitely didn't because privacy experts were really arguing that 
just the sheer existence of this technology can be abused. And even if Apple makes all of these assurances that it can't, there's still possibilities, because nothing is impossible, that it could be abused. And so they were really pointing out, especially the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which is one of the most well-known digital rights watchdog groups, they were really pointing out, this is a slippery slope. And not just the child pornography feature, but also the messaging feature. So on the one hand, Federighi told you that this is not a backdoor. I think in no way is this a backdoor. I, I, I really don't understand that characterization. But do you think it sets a precedent, not just for law enforcement in the U.S., but also for governments around the world who will see this and start pushing Apple to create more tools like it? That's certainly the fear. That's the fear of privacy experts. Apple is saying no, right? Apple and Craig Federighi said, no, this is not that. Federighi also told Joanna that despite the backlash, Apple is still planning on rolling out these features in its update later this year. Do you think Apple rolling out these features signals a change in the company's stance on privacy? I don't think it's a change for their stance on privacy because they so clearly wanted to make this announcement with privacy at the center and they are saying, hey, this is a feature we only now can do because we've built it in a privacy-respecting way. But fundamentally, a feature like this has to invade people's privacy. If you want to know if somebody has illegal images, you've got to find a way to look at their images or scan their images or whatever way you want to semantically put it as Apple's technology works. And so this might be the most privacy-respecting way to do that, but it's still on the surface looking at images. Big picture, what would you say is the takeaway of this moment for iPhone users? I think the big takeaway for iPhone users is that we think of our phones as ours. And I asked Craig Federighi, who was in control of our phones, and he said that he believes that users own their phones. But at the end of the day, it is controlled by a mega tech company, right? Apple can do this. They do have the power to issue this update with these technologies. And we don't really have a choice. You know, we live in Apple's walled garden and we like it there for so many things. We like the apps, we we like the services, we like Ted Lasso, but we also have to realize we're at their control. That's all for today, Tuesday, August 17th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Additional reporting in this episode by Tim Higgins and Robert McMillan. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.